Good morning. As uh, Brett said, and by the way, Brett, thank you. Job well done. As Brett mentioned, Pastor Bruno uh, is on vacation. He and his family, they are down in Williamsburg. And he has allowed me to finish his series, God Knows Your Story. So I get the privilege of um, finishing, finishing it for him, and I'm excited about that. So um, before I start, let me take a moment and, and pray. Please bow with me. Father, I thank you for the worship that we had earlier and the worship that we are having right now as we worship through uh, announcements and prayer and music. Now we shall worship you through the word, the spoken word. We thank you for your word because your word is truth. And Father, as I stand before the saints of this wonderful church, I pray, Lord, that you would speak through me. I pray, Lord, that I would handle the word accurately. And I pray, Lord, that this message this morning would truly resonate, resonate in the hearts of your people. But above all, we pray that you'd be glorified this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think it would be fair to say that no study having to do with how God transforms unbelievers headed into the, into the wrong, in the wrong direction uh, to believers uh, willing to die for the cause of the gospel would be complete unless we point it to what I believe is the greatest transformation ever recorded in the Bible. And I'm obviously referring to the Apostle Paul. We know Paul's, Paul of Tarsus, son of a Pharisee, a Pharisee himself. Paul, or as he was known back then, Saul, had a hatred for Christians. As a matter of fact, it was an all-out passion of his. I mean, it appeared that Paul actually got his kicks out of rounding up Christians and bringing them into the Jewish courts where he played the role of accuser or even prosecutor and would force them to, uh, to deny or blaspheme the name of Jesus. <clears throat> Interestingly, never did Paul suspect that the persecution he inflicted on Christians would soon be aimed at him. I think about Galatians uh, 6, 7, which says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Basically, what goes around comes around. So in Paul's own words, testifying before King Agrippa in defense of his preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul tells the Jewish king about his conversion. He tells about his transformation from, from hatred of the name of Jesus Christ to love the one given that same name. And then he tells Agrippa about his incredible passion for preaching the gospel. What an incredible transformation Paul made. What a wonderful story. What an amazing story Paul has. You know what? Every Christian alive has a story. And possibly the greatest realization a person can make is this. Does my story fit into God's greater story, which of course is the greatest story ever told? 
does your story truly fit into God's story? I hope the answer to that is a resounding yes, because your story should fit into God's story, because you fit into God's story. And God can use your story to help others come to know Jesus Christ. God could use your story. For the past two weeks, we have looked at different aspects of Paul's life. Uh, week one, we looked at uh, persecutor to persecute it. Week two, we went from religion to redemption. And this week, we have titled this message, uh, From Accuser to Acquitted. I think looking at Paul the past couple of weeks, uh, in many ways, Paul is showing us how to tell our story, isn't he? Right? And he shows us to start with our past. Because, like Paul, we all have a past. Every one of us, we have a past. Now, your past may not be like Paul's past, and I certainly hope it isn't, but we all have a past. And, and Paul starts out by saying he wasn't always the way he appears to be now. In other words, he was a person, he was a man with a past, and that's how Paul starts his defense with King Agrippa. So we're going to be in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 26 this morning. All right, and we're going to look at uh, a good portion of uh, that, that book, that, that chapter. So if you have your Bibles, you can go to Acts 26, or you can follow along. And I'm going to start by reading the first 11 uh, verses, starting with verse 1. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope and the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme and in rage and fury against them, I persecuted them even to the foreign cities. Wow. This is Paul's final hearing in the book of Acts. And it's actually his third account of his conversion. He gives a few more details uh, in, in, in this, in this um, version of his testimony. But having received Agrippa's permission to speak, Paul acknowledged it with a, a hand salute, one that showed his respect and recognition of Agrippa's rank. You will notice that he gave this man his title, right? He called him King Agrippa. One of the many things I admire about Paul 
uh, he respected authority. He really did. Paul was a great believer, not only in respecting authority, but constituted authority as well. And he felt like um, to render honor where honor is due. Paul writes in uh, Romans 13, 7, he says, Pay to all what, what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. You know, regardless if a person who holds a high position, he might be a scoundrel. He might live a scandalous life, scandalous life. But Paul always acknowledged the office and recognized that the powers that be are ordained by God. In other words, insolence towards authority, civil disobedience, and disrespect toward governing officials were as foreign to Paul as they are in the Bible. Romans 13, 1 through 7 gives more details. The man understood authority and was very respectful. Again, as we read in verse 3, Paul explains that he was pleased to be able to state his case to King Agrippa. Why? Because of all the high officials in that country, nobody knew better than the king the history, the principles, the passions of the Jewish people. And Paul described Agrippa as an expert in all these matters. Again, of all the government officials in the country, Agrippa could be expected to appreciate that Israel's messianic hope had found its answer in the person of Jesus Christ. And Paul's main point here is that, Agrippa, by being a Jew by religion, you could be expected to have a a concern about these things. Therefore, Paul begged Agrippa to listen patiently. That's pastor speak for a long sermon, by the way. All right? But the point is, Paul had a story, and it was probably lengthy. And he asked Agrippa, please, listen patiently. So Paul describes his past. He says, as the Jewish leaders are well aware, I was given a thorough Jewish training from my earliest childhood among my own people in Jerusalem. Verse 5 says, again, they have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify... That according to the strictest party of, of our religion, I have lived like a Pharisee. You see, Paul pointed out first that all the Jews had known him for a long time. His manner of life in Tarsus as a child, his life in Jerusalem as an adult. He declares to the Jewish people, you knew who I am. I'm a Pharisee. I live like a Pharisee, publicly uh, teaching uh, the, the, the things of the strictest party of the religion. I, I, I clearly did not try to fool anyone. I lived like a Pharisee. And, and very much like, like, like Nicodemus, he was a respected Pharisee. And very much like Nicodemus, he was a master in Israel. And very much like Nicodemus, was ignorant in the fact that he needed to be born again. Next, the Apostle Paul affirms what, in his mind, is the reason he was on trial. He states, and listen, And now I stand here on trial because of my hope and the promise made by God to our fathers. He says, To which our twelve tribes hope to attain, so they earnestly worship night and day. 
And for this hope, I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Paul is telling King Agrippa that he's being judged because of the hope and what God had promised the patriarchs of the faith. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and possibly other ancestors of the faith. In other words, Paul's accusation was no accusation at all because all 12 tribes of Israel were united in having a distinctive hope that set them apart from all mankind. And what was that great hope that so distinguished the Jewish people? The hope that was intended to make the Jews a nation of missionaries to all the other nations. It was the hope preserved in their sacred writings that God would send a Savior into the world to redeem people from the penalty and the power of sin. Israel's hope, the world's hope, the world's hope lay in the promise of a coming Redeemer to be mankind's Savior. And the great hope of Israel had come. And that is the point Paul now makes. Jesus had been born in Bethlehem as foretold. He had fulfilled the scriptures. He had been betrayed, crucified, and buried. And he had risen again as foretold. Why should it be thought incredible with you that God raises the dead, King Agrippa? Paul is giving his defense passionately. But he's doing something else. He was sharing the gospel. He was witnessing his faith before King Agrippa and those around him. Paul continued his defense to Agrippa by describing how he, he opposed the name of Jesus and described the awful things that he, he did to Christians. It was a telling part of Paul's testimony. It really was because it showed that he, he had not always believed in Jesus. Paul was telling King Agrippa that not only was he not a Christian, but he actively and vehemently opposed them. Paul was actually a fanatic in his opposition towards Christianity to the point where he would apprehend Christians and, and would force them to blaspheme the name of Jesus. In other words, to force them to recant their belief in Jesus. Paul's a fanatic. <laughs> Paul obviously thought it was important to tell King Agrippa who he was before his personal encounter with Jesus. Paul thought it was important to talk about his past. In other words, Paul was giving Agrippa his B.C. story, his before Christ story. You know what? For those of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we all have a B.C. story. Every one of us. We have a before Christ. Christ story. Some may be more colorful than others, but we all have a BC story. Every one of us has a story of how we came to know Jesus and what Jesus has done um, for us in our lives. And you know, folks, it's important that we know it. And we do not need to be ashamed of our BC story. Why? We're all sinners in need of God's grace. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
We all have a story to tell. We all have an event or maybe a series of events that tell how we came to accept Jesus as our Savior. Because it always boils down to this. Always boils down to this. We all need Jesus. Your BC story is important. But your BC story, it can't end there. Your BC, it just cannot end there. After telling your before Christ story, you must tell your personal encounter with Jesus story. All right? It's a pattern. Next, we're going to take a look at a couple more verses in in Acts 26, starting uh, in verse 12, 12 through 18. Allow me to read it as we continue uh, with the journey of Paul. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when, and when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Is it hard for you to kick against the goads? And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to point you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me, to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am, I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me." Paul is about to talk about the most critical point in his life. The most critical point in his life. His encounter with the risen Lord. Paul told Agrippa the day he left for Damascus with the purpose to arrest as many Christians as possible. Paul had a purpose. Paul was committed. And he was going to do this. As a matter of fact, he had documents signed by the chief priests that guaranteed cooperation with the Jewish officials. Little did Paul know that this journey would change his life. His life for eternity and others for eternity. Paul gave Agrippa a vivid description of how on the road to Damascus at midday, he and those who were with him were struck to the ground with a dazzling light. And a voice from heaven said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Paul Paul asked who it was who was speaking, and the answer came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. At that moment, by the way, this is, this is my opinion. Uh, feel free to agree to disagree. But at that moment for Paul, I believe Paul was stopped in his tracks. Now think about this. I think for the first time, Paul realized that he was, he was, was without Christ, that he needed Christ. The man who he was pursuing, he realized he needed He needed him. I believe Paul, at that moment, was lost. Not only was he lost, he knew that he was lost. Think about this. Paul, from the early days, knew the scriptures, studied the scriptures. The Pharisee committed his life to the work of God. 
serving God. That was his entire life. And at that moment, realized it was all for naught. That he was pursuing God. He was, he was betraying God. Have you ever been lost? Many people are spiritually lost. They just don't know it. But have you ever been lost and you knew you were lost? And you knew there was no hope? Have you been there? I, I hope you haven't. But real quickly, I was there for a season of my life. I'm just going to share a small snapshot of my story. I grew up in the church. I was very active in the church, loved the church. But I grew up in the church that was not a Bible-believing church. We, that church taught a, a false gospel. Just, just have to be honest. I didn't know it at the time, but it did. When I graduated from school, I, I, I joined uh, the Navy, spent uh, nine and a half years in the Navy. My first four years in the Navy, I spent uh, on board a helicopter carrier. It just happened we did a lot of cruising in, in four years. I think we made five huge uh, deployments. So again, if you're familiar with the Navy, you know that when you're out to sea, it's usually a six-month tour. They always extend it, seven, eight, nine months. I was out to sea a lot. So being a part of ship's company, I, I, I lived on a ship, I worked on a ship, I ate on a ship, I slept on a ship. I had a lot of time on the ship. I remember being out to sea for 77 straight days. So when you're on a ship, you can't work 24 hours. So we would read, and we would read anything and everything. And there's literature all around the ship, especially as you're standing in the chow lines. And I remember they had these little booklets, little pamphlets, Chick tracks. Remember those? The chick tracks? Right. This, this was the salvation story, but it was a sledgehammer approach with these chick tracks. You're going to hell, you know, blah, blah, blah. Then at the end of the track, it would give the salvation message. The problem for me was that the salvation message did not add up to the church I grew up in. And I was confused. See, I always knew God existed. I believed in heaven. I believed in hell. I just didn't have that relationship with Jesus at that time. So I was really confused. Am I going to heaven? Am I going to hell? And every day, it was different. One day I thought, yeah, I feel good. I'm going to heaven. The next day, I don't think so. And it was tearing me apart. And for years, this went on. Even as I got married and had kids, and we were in and out of church. In the early 80s, I read a book that confused me even more, although God used it for his glory. But I read a book by Hal Lindsey, The Late Great Planet Earth. Some of you, a little older, may have read it. Uh, it's about the end times. And for the first time, I hear this thing called the rapture. Like, oh, great. Jesus is coming back for his church. Am I a part of the church? And I was a mess. I was an absolute mess. I just didn't know if I was going to heaven. And I was having nightmares. I, I was confused. I, I was angry. It wasn't good. But God used that book because I was playing football on Sunday, every Sunday with, with a bunch of guys. And one, one of my buddies, his wife is going to this church. 1995, the pastor here started a series on the book of Revelation on end times. And she never invited me to the church, but I asked, asked her, could I go? Well, sure, if you want. I came to this church February of 1995 during the beginning of the Revelation series. And 
I heard the gospel. I saw the light. God opened my eyes. And I'm so thankful for that book now, but I'm also thankful that I came to a Bible-believing church. But I was lost, folks, and it was not a good place to be. Which is why, I, to this day, I love that special hymn, Amazing Grace, I was once lost, but now I am fine, and found, was blind, but now I see. I believe the Apostle Paul was lost for a moment during that time. He was, he was without hope. The good news is that Paul wasn't lost for long. Because in verse 16 we read, the Lord said, Get up, because I have work for you to do, Paul. The Lord revealed to Paul that his primary witness was to the Gentiles. I'm sure that was a surprise to Paul. Paul went from lost without hope to life with purpose. I so get that. In other words, Paul now goes from his encounter with Jesus to his commission. Jesus said to him, now get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and my witness, Paul. You are to tell the world what you have seen and what I will show you in the future. See, Paul gets a direct commissioning from Jesus right there on the road to Damascus, where he was appointed as a servant and a witness of Christ. Wow. Jesus goes on to tell Paul that I will rescue you from your own people and the Gentiles. To just Paul, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God. Then, then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. Paul would be Jesus' agent to open their eyes and help them turn from the darkness of sin to the light of the gospel, from the authority of Satan to the one true God, so that they might receive forgiveness of sins. This is Paul's commissioning. Of course, and we know this, with that forgiveness, they would also receive an inheritance, as we have. That is, they would be recipients of God's grace and his promises among those who are sanctified. In other words, they would, be, they would be made holy, set apart to God as his people to do his will by faith in him. Paul shared his personal encounter with Jesus <clears throat> as a witness to King Agrippa. Paul thought it was important to share his personal encounter. And I believe it's important as well for us to do the same thing. Your story may not be as powerful as Paul's, <clears throat> but it will be powerful nonetheless. You see, Jesus opened Paul's eyes to the truth of the gospel, the reality of the Christ of the gospel. Jesus rescued Paul from the folly of continuing to walk in the ways of the wicked, and he commissioned Paul to the task of taking up his own cross to follow him to the extent that he'd be willing to suffer and possibly die for the cause of Jesus Christ. Paul was commissioned, and we are commissioned as well as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Several years ago, maybe five, six, seven years ago, I, I forget, um, the leaders of the church, we redid our mission statement, and I, and I put it up here. Uh, this is a cute way <clears throat> of describing the Great Commission. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
to live and to love like Jesus and help others to do the same. Many ways to do that. But sharing your story is one way of telling others to do that. Sharing your story because it's your story. And nobody can take your story away from you. I love hearing testimonies of people coming to the Lord. Every testimony is great. It doesn't have to be like Paul's, but Paul's is a great testimony. But I especially like it, to be honest, when Jesus confronts those who oppose him. And I really, really love it when those who oppose him turn from their lives, um, turn their lives around and passionately, passionately pursue Jesus. I love hearing those stories. Because you know what? The pattern is always the same. They see the light of truth. They see the need for Jesus. Then they see everyone else's need for salvation, and they share their story because they want to see people come to the truth. One of my favorite transformation stories outside of Paul is Lee Strobel. Lee is the author of A Case for Christ. Lee was an atheist, uh, a lawyer by trade, he worked for the Chicago Tribune as an investigative reporter. And most reporters are skeptical. And when his wife, Leslie, received Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior, Lee was skeptical. And he went out to prove that her faith was a farce. Here's a quick little testimony of, of Lee's life. Well, for most of my life, I was an atheist. I thought the idea of an all-loving, all-powerful creator of the universe, I thought it was stupid. I mean, my background's in journalism and law. I tended to be a skeptical person. I was a legal editor of the Chicago Tribune. So I needed evidence before I believe anything. One day, my wife came up to me. She had been agnostic. And she said after a period of spiritual investigation, she decided to become a follower of Jesus Christ. And I thought, you know, this is the worst possible news I could get. I thought she was going to turn into some sexually repressed prude who's going to spend all of her time serving the poor in Skid Row somewhere. I thought this was the end of our marriage. But in the ensuing months, I saw positive changes in her values, in her character, in the way she related to me and the children. It was winsome, and it was attractive, and it made me want to check things out. So I went to church one day, uh, mainly to try to see if I could get her out of this cult that she's gotten involved in. But I heard the message of Jesus articulated for the first time in a way that I could understand it. That forgiveness is a free gift and that Jesus Christ died for our sins, that we might spend eternity with him. And I walked out saying, I was still an atheist, but also saying, if this is true, this has huge implications for my life. And so I used my journalism training and legal training to begin an investigation into whether there was any credibility to Christianity or to any other world faith system for that matter. I did that for a year and nine months until November the 8th of 1981. And on that day, I realized that in light of the torrent of evidence flowing in the direction of the truth of Christianity, it would require more faith for me to maintain my atheism than to become a Christian. Because to be an atheist, I would have to swim upstream against this torrent of evidence pointing toward the truth of Jesus Christ. And I couldn't do that. I was trained in journalism and law to respond to truth. And so on that day, I received Jesus Christ as my forgiver and as my leader. And just like with my wife, my life began to change over time. My values, my character, the purpose of my life 
began to be transformed over time in a way that, as I look back, I can't imagine staying on the path I was on compared to the adventure and the fulfillment and the joy of following Jesus Christ. Amazing story. Made a movie of his life. He wrote the book, A Case for Christ, A Case for Faith, A Case for Easter, A Case case for Everything. All right? Lee wrote a lot of books, but the cool thing is he continues to share his story. And because of that, countless people, countless have come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because of his story. We all have a story. So why did Paul choose to go from persecutor to persecute it, from religion to redemption, from accuser to acquit it? He saw the light. Christ, the risen Lord, appeared to him, literally and figuratively. Paul saw himself a sinner in need of God's forgiveness, and the love of Christ compelled him to share the gospel with everyone he possibly could. And listen, Paul wanted everyone to know that the, who the risen Christ was because he proved by his own story failure is not the final chapter with God. Failure is not the final chapter with God. Forgiveness awaits anyone who, when confronted by the person of Christ, is willing to see the truth, be saved, and live their lives for him who died for us. Paul has an amazing story, but so do you. Our title is God Knows Your Story. Do you know your story? Do you know your story? And are you willing to share your story? Because it is your story. And you know what? No one can take your story away. I'm going to share a very, very quick story, then I'm going to close in prayer. 23, 24 years ago, we had an evangelist come to this church for a, a full week. Um, our youth group kind of sponsored it. His name was Kyle Bird, uh, a former uh, baseball, a professional baseball player. And we actually got Kyle into three or four high schools and two middle schools during the week, which was pretty amazing. Right? So he spoke to uh, students the entire week, and he you know, gave his story of being a professional ball player, uh, you know, kind of more of a motivational speaker, and he shared a good portion of his story. But he said, you know what? If you want to hear the rest of the story, you need to come back here to this church Friday evening. Folks, on Friday evening, this place was packed out with students and adults. I remember working as a counselor, right? Because we knew, we just knew that many lives were going to get saved that night, and we just had to counsel them. Of course, being students, we knew that they were going to be emotional. So Kyle was talking to the counselors, and he said something I'll never forget. So just, just be ready, be in prayer. They're going to come. They're going to be crying. You may have to, you know, share the gospel again. But he said this, if you don't know how to share the gospel, Share your story. Just share your story on how you became saved. Because you have one. Never forgot that. At that time, 
as a church, we were doing this program called Evangelism Explosion. Some of the older people, you remember that, right? It was a great program on how to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, EE. And EE um, made a recommendation to have three testimonies, a salvation, a three-minute, five-minute, and a 10-minute salvation testimony. Well, I worked on my three testimonies. And my wife and I and another couple in this church, we have had a lot of family in this area who were not believers to our knowledge. So we decided to write them a letter saying, we're going to have a dinner uh, this evening. And Dennis, I will share a 10-minute testimony on how to make Christ relevant in your lives. Right? I was going to share my, my 10-minute story. We had a great dinner. We had 20-plus people there. I mean, close to 30, if I, ever, if I remember correctly. I gave a nine-minute testimony. I said 10. I did not want to go over 10. Gave a nine-minute testimony. I said, you know what? In two weeks, back here at the house, we'll do a study in the book of John on how you can know for sure that you have Jesus Christ as your Savior. Two weeks later, we had 16, 17 people show up. That life group is still meeting. We've been meeting for maybe 15 years. I don't know, maybe 20. I forgot. But many people have come to the Lord. People have come to a saving knowledge of Christ because I was willing to share my story. And my story is really nothing special. It's, but it is my story. We all have a story. Are you willing to share your story? Because nobody can take your story away from you. They can't dispute your story. It's your story. Let's pray. Father God, we were all at one time lost. But through the incredible, incredible sacrifice of your, of your son Jesus Christ, We've been found, and now we can see. Father, I pray that you would use this church to be instruments of your grace. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be vessels who would be willing to share the story that you've given us. Give us confidence. Give us a boldness. Stretch us, Lord, to be able to share that incredible story. Lord, I pray for each person here that you'd give us divine appointments even this week, that you'd be glorified, that your name would be lifted up, that we would proclaim the name of Jesus Christ throughout Southern Maryland. Oh, Lord, we're going to thank you in advance for what, I know, for what I know you'll do through us. Finish this message in all of our hearts, I pray, in the strong name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Folks, God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord, and we'll see you next Sunday. You're dismissed.